Good morning. Wow, I'm glad you're here. If you're visiting, thank you for coming. We'd love to get to know you. Tell you a little bit about our church. We have an information booth right outside the doors. Today, I want to give you just a few announcements before I jump into our sermon. Um, one is, we have our all-church business meeting coming up October 10th. It will be in this room at 6.30, so put that on your calendar. Uh, we usually try and do it right after the um, second service, but on October 10th, we also have baptisms, and we're having them today, so I'm glad everybody's come for that. Um, it'll be an exciting time. I love baptisms. I love to hear people share their testimony and talk about why they want to follow our Lord and Savior. So it's an exciting time. So hang around. It'll be right after this service. It, well, it depends on how long I preach. It could go four hours. Um, no. The other thing I want to announce is um, we work with a church called Grace Bible, and they're going to put on their Steadfast Conference, and we allow them to use our building, and we love to host it. We've got three great preachers coming to speak on that weekend. It'll be the 8th and 9th of October. Plan on coming to it. It's a great conference. They're going to talk about the church and what's going on in the world of the church. As you know, it's been a little bit of a crazy time in the church. So they'll talk about that. So, And today I'm going to tackle that God is sovereign and people are responsible. So I get to finish up chapter 9 and jump into chapter 10. We've been going through the book of Romans. So grab your Bibles, and we're going to take a look at a very challenging subject. One that, uh, I don't know if you know this, Romans chapter 9 is one of the toughest texts to preach, and Eric's been doing a phenomenal job. If you did not hear last week's sermon, go online and get it. So today I get to finish it up. So you join me as I pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. I pray today that we'll be challenged by what you have to say to us through your word. I pray that my words will honor your text. Lord, thank you for allowing us the privilege to meet, to worship together, and to praise you. So guide and direct our time. Help it to be honoring to you and help us to do something with what we've heard from you. And we'll give you the praise and glory for it. In your very precious name we pray. Amen. Well, as I was prepping, Eric gave me a couple weeks to look at this text. I love to dig into the text and figure out what's going on. And one of the things that really captured my mind was a word called alignment. And I want to tell you a story. When I was a freshman in high school, a couple hundred years ago, I played football. And my freshman year, I didn't know much about the sport. But one of the positions I had, I was a linebacker, but I was also on the kickoff team. And one of the things that I was supposed to do, and some of you that are coaches in here understand this, the coach told me on kickoff, your job is not to tackle the guy running towards you with the ball. Your job is to protect or contain this side of the field. And, you know, I was young. I didn't know a lot about the sports, but he gave me very clear rules on what to do. And my, why I did that was in case of a reverse happened, 
I'm supposed to be there to stop a reverse. Well, for a couple games, I was okay with that, but I didn't get to hit anybody. I didn't like that. So, my best friend was really fast. His job, the coach told him, your job is wherever that guy's running, you go to it and tackle him. And I kept thinking, ah, oh, I want to tackle. So I decided on my own free will, I'm going to run and tackle this guy. And I did, right in front of my coach, who, when I walked off the field, back then, they grabbed you by your face mask to get your attention. And he grabbed me and pulled me around for a while, talking to me and using some words I can't share. But his point was this, and I totally understood it. His point was, I told you what to do. Your job is to do what I'm telling you to do. You don't get a vote on the field. That's what a coach does. And if you look at most sports, coaches tell you what to do. Then I got to thinking about careers. Some of you know I've spent half my life in, in this corporate world and half in ministry. Every time I went to a job, they told me, here's your job description. This is what you're going to do. I didn't get to show up the next day and go, you know, I don't really want to do that. I'd rather be a manager. The corporate world said, would say no to that really quick because they hired me for a job and they hired me for a purpose. And the purpose was to do that function, right? And so I had to align my will with the corporate world. This text is going to challenge us all on alignment. Are we doing what God wants? Are we following God's will, His purpose, His plan, His directives? Are we following our will? So we're going to look at that this morning. I will tell you this. When I went back on the field the next time for kickoff, I'll tell you what I did. I ran over to the side and waited. I did not want my head pulled off my neck. I learned. So as we tackle chapter, the end of chapter 9 and we jump into chapter 10, let me give you a little bit of background because it will help you. Paul is the author of this letter to Rome. We have no indication if Paul ever got to visit this church. The church in Rome had both Jewish converts and Gentile converts. If you don't know the difference, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile, okay? So both of them were converts to Christianity. Most believe it happened in the Acts chapter 2. They would, when Paul, I mean, Peter was preaching in Acts chapter 2, a number of people went back to the part of Rome and converted a lot of people. And the church was thriving in Rome. There was a little problem. There was an emperor named Claudius. He reigned from 41 to 54. He, he had a problem with Christians and Jews. And this problem was this. Both groups were teaching there was only one God. And they were not being tolerant of other gods or other belief systems, much like today. 
Claudius heard about this Jesus as the only Savior. And I've got to give you a little more reference of what's going on. Caesar, there was this new Caesar-type Caesar worship ideology happening. And Claudius wanted to be worshipped as a god. And oftentimes they would use the same word, Savior or Messiah. They felt they were that. And you've got this group of Christians and you've got this group of Judaism or Judaizers that are both saying there's only one God. And he goes, I'm kicking you all out of Rome. So anybody that was Jewish and anybody that was a Jewish convert to Christianity, they were kicked out of Rome. Eventually, Claudius, he dies in A.D. 54. Paul writes this letter in A.D. 57. There's this group that returned to Rome. But now the Gentiles are running the church, not the Jewish converts. And there's this tension. These Jewish leaders are coming back and you've got the Gentiles running all these home-based churches. And Paul's going to address there's this tension going on. And they were bringing legalism back into it. And Paul's saying, that's not how you get saved. So they return. Paul's writing this letter to clear up some of those issues. And he does clear them up. In Romans, the whole book of Romans is really about salvation is one of the key things. How are we saved? And as you've noticed over the last couple of weeks, Eric's talked about God does the saving. God's in the business of saving people. He also talks about the essential beliefs and practices that we are supposed to do. Believers are to follow God's plan and not their own. It's an alignment issue. Becoming aligned with God, your life will become radically transformed. The book talks about grace. It talks about election. It talks about God's the initiator of salvation. And it's in faith alone, in Christ alone. So today we're going to look at this issue in 9, verse 30 through 10, verse 4, God is sovereign. People are responsible. It's all about how are we aligning with God's plan. So if you've got your Bibles, open them up to 9, verse 30. We're going to start there. The outline is really simple this morning. It deals with a question. Paul poses a question. Then he's going to give the answer. And then he's going to say, I want you to pray. So let's look at this question. Follow along with me in verse 30. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. All of Romans 8-9 confirms that salvation is a work of God. And he's saying the Gentiles are being saved. And Jews are not. Now, he's not referring to all Jews. He's talking to the Jewish religious system. 
Because Paul is a Jew. The apostles were Jews. Thousands of converts from Judaism at Pentecost came to know Christ. So he's not talking about just their nationality. He's talking about the religious system does not lead to Christ. It was totally works-based. So God is going to say to us that He has divine intervention is how He saves us. It's God that saves us. Paul has confirmed that salvation is a work of God. Throughout the whole Bible, God selects people and saves. You realize he started with a guy named Adam. Adam didn't get a vote. Later on, we get Abraham. Abraham's living in Chaldees of the earth. And he says, God comes to him and goes, I want you to go to this land. Moses. God takes him out of Egypt. He spent 40 years there. 40 years he's in the wilderness and God says to him, I want you to go back and save my people. He didn't get a vote. He did what God told him to do. He aligned with God's will. I often wonder about that conversation. He's 80 years old. And God says, I want you to go back to your homeland. And I want you to bring a million plus people out of the land. I think I'd had a whole lot of questions. God's in the business of choosing people. Look at the New Testament. John the Baptist, his parents, Zachariah and Elizabeth, you're going to have a child. You're really old. You're going to have a child. And you're going to name him John. And he is going to be a forerunner. He wasn't even born. And they knew what his job was. How about Mary? Have you ever thought about Mary? God chose her. And Mary says, okay. <laughs> That's another conversation. Wouldn't you love to have been a fly on the wall with that one? She's a young girl. And God says, you're going to have a child. And she goes, ah, how can that be? I haven't been with a man. I'll explain it to you. You're going to be my servant. Align with my will. That's what God was saying. Look at Paul. Paul. He, he's not a believer. He's a Jew and he's a zealot and he's got the license to throw Christians in prison. And on his way to Damascus, what's he do? He gets a shining light from Jesus and Jesus says, stop persecuting me. You start following me. God is in the business of selecting people. I want to give you one other big idea in this text. It's the unbelief of Israel. Israel rejected God's plan. They rejected God's Son. They rejected God's plan of salvation. They even turned their back on Jesus and eventually they killed Jesus. So he starts off the text with, what shall we say? Paul has used this seven times in the book of Romans. Starting in verse 3, I mean chapter 3, verse 5, chapter 4, verse 1, chapter 6, verse 1, chapter 7, verse 7, chapter 8, verse 31, chapter 9, 14, and the same chapter we're in, and again he does it in chapter 9, verse 30. It was a way of getting the people's attention. He's asking a question. Now, in those other instances, he uses the whole chapter to give the answer. 
And this one, he answers it in one more verse. And we'll look at that in a few minutes. And he says, what shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is a righteousness that is by faith. He's, he's talking to a Jewish audience and Gentiles, but he's saying, I want to explain this to you. The Gentiles who are not pursuing it, pursuit in, in Greek was this word of training. They train to get the goal. And guess what? They're not, they're not doing that. And they have obtained, they've obtained this salvation and they did it by what? Faith. Faith alone. Let me mention faith. Let me give you three points on faith real quick. Faith always has an object and that faith is Jesus Christ. We, we place our faith not in ourselves, but we place it in Jesus Christ and Him alone for salvation. The second aspect of faith is when you obtain it, it's, it's the idea of you're coming to the end of yourself. It, it's empty hands. It's saying, I can't save myself, Lord. I need You. Let me give you the third point on this. Faith and obedience always go together. God did not save you to leave you as what I call a pagan secular sinner. He saved you to transform your life. I'm so grateful that He did that. Faith transforms us. Did you ever notice, who did Jesus pursue? Those that were furthest away from God. He went after the tax collector, the sinner, the ones that knew they were sinners. Even in the eyes of Judaism and the religious leaders, they would say, Christ is going after the wrong people. He hangs out with the wrong people. Aren't you glad he hung out with you? We're in that group. Gentiles received righteousness that is by faith because Gentiles realized they were great sinners. They obtained it by faith. Let me give you two observations about the Gentiles. They were living in spiritual darkness. They were not seeking God's righteousness. But they were living in a society that told them they were sinners. And they were at the point of their life, they're going, I can't save myself. I can't do enough works to impress God. And that's why they love Jesus' message. Because Jesus came to them and said, it's by faith. It's not by works. It's by what Christ did on the cross that saves you. Think about your own salvation. Did you save yourself? First time I came to knowledge of Christ, I was young. Saw a movie called The Thief in the Night and it scared the H-E-L-L out of me. Can't say that word. Went home, my mom told me about how to have a relationship with the living God. Later on in my college years, I kept having this draw going, I'm not right with God. 
And God kept working on my soul. Eventually, I made him Lord of my life. If you think about how you came to know Christ, it probably wasn't something you planned. You probably were listening to a message or had a friend talking to you about what it means to have a relationship with God. And God used that friend or that person speaking and you went, and, and everything inside of you saying, oh, i got to make this commitment. But your sinful nature was also saying, I, I don't want to do that. I don't know about you. I remember in high school camps, I went down every summer. I was a slow learner. It took me a while to realize God was drawing me to Himself. These Gentiles realized they were great sinners. And they needed Christ. And they flocked to Him by the thousands. Peter, Paul, all through the book of Acts, whenever they preach or taught or discipled somebody, they go, you mean I don't have to work? It's all about Christ and i got to believe in faith? And they were like, yeah. And they'd go, I want to be in. How do I get in? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, you should have this verse down. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. I love verse 9. Not as a result of works, so that no one could boast. See, the Gentiles believed in Jesus by faith alone in Christ alone. Now let's look at the tragedy of Israel's unbelief. It's the next part of the verse. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching the law. See, the main subject of chapter 9 is Israel's unbelief. And remember, it's the belief system. It's the religious system. I'm not talking about individuals. I'm talking about the whole system was messed up. They pursued the law that would lead to righteousness. Israel thought they could obtain righteousness by works. We call that self-righteousness. It's very common about with false belief systems. False religions. The problem is it's also crept into our Christian churches. A form of legalism. This is what you have to do and not do and do do, do, do and all this stuff. The Jews, they weren't content with the first five books of the, of the Bible called the Torah. They decided we got to add 700 more laws. They missed the point of the law. The law pointed out that we are sinners. The law is a perfect reflection of God's perfect standard. Jews viewed the law as a way to be right standing with God. As long as I do everything according to the law, I will be in right standing. The Jews would get totally upset at Jesus. You remember when Jesus, he took some dirt out of the ground and he spit into it and made some little slime and he put it on this guy's eyes and he could see. The Jews weren't upset at him healing him. You know what the Jews were upset at? That he worked. He put his hand in the dirt on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to do that. And he worked. They had so many rules like that. 
I don't know how you follow 700 rules. Heck, Adam had a tough time with one rule. And that didn't work out so great. Then he gives 10 commandments and we haven't, we don't do that one either. If you've even lied once, you've broken them all. Jesus stated in Mark 8.34, if anyone comes after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Three major imperatives. And the Jews who heard that said, no, 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 that's not what we're looking for. I don't want to deny myself. I don't want to take up my cross. And I definitely don't want to follow you. That was the Jews at that time. And the reasons were this, and you need to get this down. They were looking for a political leader. They wanted a new form of government. They wanted to be back in control. See, they had this puppet government that was controlled by Caesar. And they're saying, that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for a king like David. So they missed it. They wanted a king, not a carpenter. They wanted a priest, not a savior. They wanted status, not servitude. They wanted to obtain righteousness by works. They rejected everything Christ had to say. They rejected God's free gift of righteousness by faith. They thought they could gain it by law keeping. See, they had it confused. See, the Gentiles realized this. I need to accept Christ by faith and He will impart righteousness. The Jews were going, no, i got to work at righteousness first and then God will accept me. They had it totally mixed up. They were concerned with keeping the law. Then he says this, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone of stumbling. In 1 Corinthians 1.23 it says this, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews. I've had the opportunity to go to Israel a couple times. The last time I went, our our Jewish guide, he, he, he really knew the Bible. And we were out the Mount of Olives, and he said, you know that little olive tree right there? It's over 2,000 years old. Christ was standing near that tree. And I said, Christ? He goes, yeah, he's real. And he came. I'm just not ready to reject my belief system. How sad. It was a stumbling block to this man. Every tour he went on, he had to go to all the same places Christ went. And it just, it confused this guy. And I'm like, you just got to turn your life over to Christ. I wish I could tell you he did. I don't know. We talked the gospel a lot. Everybody on our bus wanted to talk to him about the gospel. And I thought, how many groups does he take? And they're hammering on him, and it's a stumbling block. Because Christ, he says millions of people come here every year to acknowledge Christ. And he's still waiting for Christ to show up. 
God's plan was to provoke Israel. And he's saying, if you think your works will save you, you will stumble. The contrast is this. If we pursue a righteousness to stand before God by works, we will fail. If we come to God by faith in Christ alone, we will obtain righteousness. Even if we weren't pursuing it. It's not faith in yourself, it's faith in Christ. It's the idea of denying yourself. If anyone comes after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It's tough to deny yourself. We live in a world that's all about self. I mean, think about the word Facebook. Facebook. It's about you. you got to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow Him. And he says that this, this rock is a rock of offense. Paul uses two texts, Isaiah 28.16 and Isaiah 8.14, to talk about the stumbling block that will be there, and it's there to this day. They still stumble over it. So let me give you the summarization on just this. The Gentiles who are not pursuing righteousness were accepted by Christ by faith. The second thing is, Jews who worked at righteousness failed to accept Christ by faith. He showed up and says, believe in me by faith in Christ alone. Now we have this radical transition. And it's about lining our will with God's will. Look at chapter 10, 1 through 4 with me. Pray for the unsaved. Even that alone is, is, is tough because in chapters 8 and 9, he said, God saves. God's in the business of saving. So look at verse, verse 1 with me in chapter 10. Brothers, my desire and prayer to God for them that they may be saved. For I bear witness that they have a zeal for God, not according to knowledge, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. In Romans 9, Paul confirms that salvation is a work of God. God saves us. As pitiful sinners, He still saves us. And the Gentiles got it. The Jews kept saying, no, i got to do some works. And then in chapter 10, Paul's stating, pray for those who are not saved. How do these fit together? How does God's sovereign election plan include our prayers and our preaching? They do. God says, I want you to pray for those who are not saved. I want you to share the good news. I want you to disciple See, here's the practical point. God knows who will be saved. You don't. And I don't. I've shared the gospel throughout my life. I've had people, you barely say something about the gospel and they go, okay, I need to accept Christ. And you're like, what? Then I've had people I've shared with for four or, four or five years. And I'm like, when is this going to happen? 
And eventually somebody else comes in their life and God, and they, they make a confession. They finally come to the end of themselves and say, I've got to do it by faith alone. See, our job is to share. God's job is to save. Stop trying to do God's job. Our job's to share. God's job's to save. Our job's to disciple. God's job is to transform. God's sovereign plan includes your prayers. In the rest of this chapter, you get down later on in chapter 10 and 14 and 15, he says, preaching and sharing and praying leads people to the Lord. God saves His elect through prayer and through preaching. To me, this is more of an alignment issue. Oftentimes, we come to know Christ and we still want to live according to our own ways, our own self-righteousness. And God's saying, no, now you're on my team. I'm going to tell you what to do. I've got a purpose. I've got a plan. And I'm going to use you. I don't get how it all works. I don't get how God selects people and doesn't select other people. But for some reason, God says, I want to use you in that plan. He wants to use every one of us in that plan. Because God knows who's saved. You don't. Now there's indicators. I've met many people in my life. I know they're saved. They got this amazing, humble disposition. And they're so dependent on God for everything. Every breath, they go, God is in control. And they become extremely humble. There was one elder at my former church. He was in his late 80s. I love talking to this man because he would come up to me and go, Dave, what have you been reading in the Bible? Tell me. Help me learn. And I'm like, wait, you were a pastor. You were a professor. You knew Christ and you, you love Christ. I'm like, no, you tell me. And he would laugh and he goes, no, I want to know what the next generation's thinking. I want to know if they love Christ. It's an alignment issue. God wants us to be aligned with His will, His plan, His purposes, and not ours. Just remember, you don't know who God's elected. Election's a definite doctrine in Scripture. But God uses us to save them. Paul prayed for the salvation of Jews. Did you notice he said, brother, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. Oh, Paul had a zeal for God prior to becoming a Christian. He took that zeal and it exploded. And he's saying, I'm praying for those I know. Then he goes on, and it's it's interesting. In verse 4, he says this, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Let me give you a little context. In the Old Testament, people, every year, they would bring offerings to pay for their sins, to have their sins covered. And in the Old Testament, they realized they needed an ultimate Messiah, somebody that would pay it forever. So in the Old Testament, they were looking forward to Messiah coming. 
In the New Testament, you know what we do? We look back at His coming. We were saved the same way, by faith. And Christ says, I fulfilled the law of righteousness. And what He's saying is, when He came, He paid the ultimate price. That's why you and I don't go buy a dove or a sheep or a bull and sacrifice it. Christ paid for your sins, your past, your present, and your future sins. That's good news. Listen to this. I put this together. It says, God's way of salvation is not the way of being good. It's not the way of being a religious person because you can never be good enough. One sin disqualifies you from entering into heaven. No matter how much you try to counterbalance it with your good works, we're born with a terminal disease called sin, which grows progressively worse as we age. And the young people should say, say that again. It's a disease which grows progressively worse as we age. Don't be deceived into thinking that you can make up by good works to avert the judgment of God. God knows the thoughts and intentions of our heart. God's in the business of saving. He's not impressed with our good works. He's impressed when we lay our life at the soul, at the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, you're the only one who can save me. And what's Jesus do? He saves. Let me give you some application or we won't get to baptisms. So first one is this. Whatever it takes, Lord, align my desires with yours so my life aligns with your purpose. Let your will be done through me. That's a great prayer to start off every morning. God, what are you doing? Wake up and say, God, how are you going to use me? i got to tell you a quick story. There's a friend of mine, and in his business, he owns a business, in his business, he's decided, I'm going to have a Bible study with the guys and the women. Well, just this week, I knew he was doing that, and I, I've dealt with him a lot on this. I'm in buying donuts to bring to the workers that are destroying the activity center. Sorry for the mess. I'm picking up donuts, and this lady walks in, and she's got the shirt on of that company. And I said, hey, I know about that. And she goes, this has been an amazing blessing to me. I was going off on the wrong road. I started working in this company. I'm in a Bible study, and God's radically changing my life. That happened on Thursday morning. So you know what I do? I get my donuts. I'm heading to church. I call my buddy and go, I just got to tell you this story. And he goes, oh, I know who you're talking about. She needed help. And I'm so glad my wife is discipling her. We should be in the business all the time. God, your desire is for me to impact other souls. Souls are brought into your life all the time. What are you doing about that? Let me get to point two. I must share the good news faithfully, freely, and often. 
Share the good news faithfully, freely, and often. People are going to ask, why do you follow Christ? Tell them. Remember this. My job is to share the gospel. Your job is to share the gospel. God's job is to save people. Be prepared. Last thing is develop a prayer list of five people. And don't stop at five. If you know 50 people that need to be saved, put them all on there. Pray for them. Pray for the salvation of other people that you know that need to be saved. It will help you align with God. Remember my football story of alignment? I went back on the field at the next game. You know what I did? I went to this side of the field. I didn't go after the guy with the ball. I learned to align with my coach. God, for every one of us, he says, I got a plan, I got a purpose, and I got a direction. Get aligned with me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you for Paul's passion to tell us that God is the one who's in control of salvation. We aren't. But God wants to use us by our prayers and our preaching and our sharing. Help us to be instruments that do that. And we'll give you the praise for it. For we love you and thank you for being in control of our lives. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ that went to the cross to save all of us. And Lord, I just pray that we follow and align our lives with your will in your precious name and all God's people said, amen.